We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. So we were in our training camp. Last week we talked a little bit about the NFL and how players come to the training camp uh, to work on the fundamentals. So whether you are in the league for 10 years or whether you're a rookie first and fresh in the season in this league, everyone comes to training camp to work on the mechanics of how to throw a football, how to take a hike, how to block with appropriate technique, how to tackle. Why? Because the teams that, that tackle well, that throw well, that can actually catch a ball, win games. you got to have the fundamentals. And every year around August, we come together and we review the fundamentals of the faith. Uh, we review the vision of our church. So whether you've been in the faith for 30 years or whether you're like brand spanking new as a believer, these are all beautiful like principles that we can all glean and be reminded from. Last week, uh, we studied the up arrow. Our church uses three arrows to um, to define our vision and help each other learn like what are some like basic things of the Christian life that we should be doing and asking and thinking about. The up arrow, uh, we have a slide and it says basically, hey, how's your relationship with the Lord doing? We spend a lot of time on prayer, um, um, but uh, the, the, the gist was how's your time in the Word? How's your time in prayer? Um, the in arrow, which is our focus today, asks, Hey, are you walking with Jesus with a few other people? Are you reaching inward? We don't want you to be isolated. The Christian life isn't just like in this like telephone booth just in prayer, right? And so um, it's this conversation of making disciples. Again, we're going to spend a lot of time. And then next week, we're going out arrow. So are you, are you reaching out to those who are lost, who are far from God, do you have a few people on your mind that you can deliberately uh, share Christ with this year and take part in the Great Commission? So we're spending these three weeks, this is week two of three, um, asking these questions, thinking through this. This is our training camp. And like always, I try to insert one comment about the Packers. Are we ready for this one? One of the greatest coaches in the history of football, Vince Lombardi, uh-huh. The Vince Lombardi Trophy. Tough crowd this morning, you know. Okay, Vince, Vince, every every season, he would bring the Packers in, and he would say, "The men, this is a football," and he would go from there. The fundamentals are important. So today we're doing our in arrow, in arrow. So here's a question to start with. Okay, um, have you ever uh, seen one of those? Speed reel videos where people are coming in and out of buildings and it is going eight times, ten times as fast as the normal speed. They're about a minute or two long and you just see hundreds of people in, out, in, out, in, out. The buildings, walking on sidewalks, streets, okay? 
Get that in your head. Um, what if, what if someone took a speed reel of our church throughout the week? They tracked us. They tracked us coming in in church, going out of church, uh, going to community groups, back, meeting with people at coffee shops over lunch, hosting people for dinner, waking up early, walking with people. They tracked all of our movement, and they concluded this that the sum of this people, the gathering, the sum of their existence, the purpose of why they're doing, is basically they just they go places, they do things. Um, who they are is defined by their schedule um, and what times they come in and they go out. And that's it. Would that be a correct assessment of who we are? No. It'd be ridiculous, Right? What is a fair way to gauge or measure a church? Um, in what ways could we define our purpose? Or here's another way to ask it. Um, what is the difference between Christians and their movement and non-Christians and their movement? Would it only be the places that they go? Is there any difference? Is there any difference in their content of speech, what they talk about. There's a difference in what they watch. What about how they treat each other? What about how they treat their children and how they train their children? How they serve one another? Is there any difference? Or are we just like this speed reel going back and forth and going crazy? In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 10, don't go there, okay? Ezekiel has this crazy vision. Ezekiel was a prophet. Um, and he was in Babylon, in exile. And God gives him this vision of the temple. And the glory of God um, was coming down upon the temple. And it was supported by this, like, uh, by this like, tray with wheels on it. And it, was, uh, it had angels that were carrying it, and they were flying. And so the glory of God was coming down and it was coming into the threshold of the temple. Okay? And it stopped. The glory of God stopped. It started moving away. And it started flying with the angels like supporting it. And it, it went over the east gate. This is in Jerusalem. And then it went away. The glory of God. Which was a horrifying vision for the people of God. It would be like, oh, suck in breath, right? Like, no, the glory of God going away from the temple. It, like the glory of God occupied the temple since the days of Solomon. Where is it going? But an, an even more horrifying thing about the glory of God going away from the temple was that nothing really changed after it left. The people of God, they went into the temple, they went out of the temple, they did their thing. There wasn't any noticeable difference after it left. We don't talk about Ezekiel much, but friends, what if, in a way, that happened with our church? What if we came to church and left, and went to a community group and left, and did a Bible study here and left and met with a person here and left 
and the power of God, the supernatural like power that works in and through our lives by the Spirit, through His Word, what if that never happened? Would we be able to notice the difference in our relationship, in our time here? Or would we just continue to move along doing things from place to place, checking the box? That would be horrifying. So here's the question then. What are the evidences of the Spirit of God, His glory, His power, in the life of the local church. How can we see God's glory today among us? That's where we're headed today. And we're going to find the answers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So you take a note. The title of today's sermon is His Glory in the Church. And if you're visiting with, with us, our some of our phraseology is the timeless truth. All that means is it was... It was true for them back then. It's true for us now. Uh, this is the sermon in a sentence. And it says this, The evidence of God's glory in the church is displayed when God's people give the gospel and their lives to others. That's what we chew on. So there's five evidences that are coming your way. Let your eyes go on down to verse 1 uh, in the Scriptures. And the first evidence that we're saying today is that, it, in a word, is fruitful. Fruitful. Verse 1, let me read it for us. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Okay, so this is the umbrella principle, that when Christians get together, their time is not in vain, it's fruitful. What do we mean by that? Um, literally, it would be full of fruit. So when a person, when a believer gets with other believers, when the, the church happens, our prayer is that it would be full of fruit. Um, one of my favorite uh, theologians from the past, his name is Jonathan Edwards. He was um, took part in the great um, first awakening of the United States. Uh, in his work studying the fruits of the Spirit, um, I, I love what he says. So in, in Greek and Hebrew, there was no um, punctuation, so no commas, no exclamation points or periods or whatever. They just kind of knew, okay? And so in the in the English translation, when it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, comma, joy, comma, peace, taking, and the, they get commas, 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 commas after everyone, as if to say that the fruit of the Spirit is, is probably one of these. Jonathan Edwards says, what if the fruit of the Spirit is love? colon. Like God is love. If a believer, if a person becomes a believer, they get the Spirit. What they should exude, what comes from them, should be love. Now what does that look like? Well, I'll tell you, it looks like joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It look, love looks like, like self-control, for sure. Yeah, all of these. So when believers get together, an outcome of it or the fruit from it should be a general 
love for one another. So just to be straight with you, believers enjoy one another. (laughs) They like each other. They want to be around each other. They genuinely love one another. The hard ones, the easy ones to love. The older, the younger than, the same age. The like, the unlike. They just like them. Why? Because they share the most like basic and beautiful commonality, and that is the gospel. Amen? It's not just enjoying, though. It's not just, oh, I just like being around them. Fruitful can also mean progress, like that our time was fruitful. We accomplished something, which like the type A uh, people in our congregation are like, all right, yes, let's accomplish something. What is the agenda, or what would be the thing to be accomplished when believers get together so that it's not in vain, from verse 1? And it would be this. Growth in Christ. That people, as a result of getting together, a part, a part of loving one another would be that we love Jesus more and look more like Him as a result of our time together. Uh, Hebrews 10 talks about, it says, let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good deeds. Which would mean this. Before church, or after church, or before we like go to a lunch with someone, or, or like we're, we're going to walk with someone, we go, you know what? I wonder how I could encourage Rob in the faith. I wonder how, what questions I could ask. What passage of scripture I could offer, how I could pray for him in such a way that he would be stirred up towards love and good deeds, that he would love Jesus and others more. That would be a fruitful experience, a fruitful time with one another. I don't even need to ask, but like, who, who by a show of hands, don't raise your hands, who loves to waste time? I know, it's just silly, right? I know, yeah. Like, in our flesh, we just love to waste time. We just blow it all away. But, like, who, who just cherishes, at the end of the day, when you're like, that was a fruitful day. God used me. That's exciting. Like, I, don't, I, I haven't met anyone who doesn't like that. It's awesome. The question in, your, in our minds would be, Lord, how could you use me in the life of another person? That would be a fruitful question. And friends, just to be uh, just to be real with you, we are so encouraged with you guys. We see this happening all the time, Monday through Saturday, and Sundays like crazy. We see you guys engaging in each other's lives, in in wanting each other to grow in Christ. We see uh, people getting together. We hear about it. How exciting it is to know that um, that you guys care for one another and are, and are pursuing one another so that your time is not in vain, so that, so that you grow in Christ. That, friends, the Ezekiel image, that is evidence that the glory of God, His Spirit, has not departed from here, but He's in among us. He's indwelling us, um, and He's working in our lives because you care about your time so it can be fruitful. Let's go to the next one. You want to hear another evidence of God's glory in the church? Number two, perspective in suffering. Perspective in suffering. Here's verse two of our chapter. 
But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Okay, so here's Paul, and our, our brother, Apostle Paul, is suffering, okay? Um, some of you know this, but the prosperity gospel would say, uh, hey, Paul, um, you're suffering. You're actually doing something wrong. Um, you shouldn't be suffering. If you're doing things right in the ministry, things should go well for you. But here we see that Paul, pretty good, like, dude, things are going wrong for him. Like, things are hard for him. Suffering is occurring. And so our, our doctrine of suffering is challenged. Because each of us think, oh man, something's bad happening. I must have done something bad. But actually the Bible is saying that when suffering occurs, God is working and using it in your life. Parentheses, I know that there's some suffering as a result of direct sin, but not here. So, friends, brothers and sisters, when you face strong opposition, it is a sign that God is at work in his servant. When suffering occurs, it actually becomes one of the greatest platforms of ministry for you. But it's in how you respond to suffering, isn't it? I love uh, Chuck Swindoll, the chancellor of the seminary that I went to. He said this, Life is 10% about what happens to you, and about 90% uh, uh, you responding. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, that's good. I don't like that. I like that. I like, okay, I like it, right? So how we respond in our suffering essentially shows our genuineness. Our faith. Look at how Paul responded in his suffering. Did you catch the latter portion of that verse in what God gave him? Like when Paul came to Thessalonica, he was preaching. He got beaten for it. He got like whipped for it. And God gave him as a result this response. Ready? In a word? Boldness. He was bold for the gospel. That was his response to suffering. Isn't that interesting that those two things are tied together in this verse? Paul's suffering tied to his response for evangelism. Isn't that wild? He was bold for the gospel when he was suffering. And I can't think of a better example right now for our church than the Hartzell family. Can you? This family is suffering incredibly. McKinley with leukemia. Um, when we got home and we, we got to see them face to face, Hannah sat with Caroline and then we Zane and I sat with McKinley and then Zane and I went out and had dinner together and Hannah and, I, Hannah and Caroline sat with McKinley and I looked at Zane and Said, hey, where are you at, man? How you doing? Like, you all right? And he said, um, you know, I just want people, the doctors, the nurses, our church, everyone around us who doesn't know, I just want them to know 
but we have hope. We have hope beyond this life. We have hope uh, beyond circumstances and outcomes and doctor reports and tests. Um, pray that we would have hope. And in the same breath, he says, Mike, I'm not always there. <laughs> I'm going to struggle for that. That's where we need prayer. So pray that for us. Hope for the heart That gives God so much glory in suffering to respond with boldness. That's it. That's it. In our groups this year, um, we, we will experience some suffering. We're, we're promised it. And I pray that our church, that when we gather in homes, that we would not be... Um, it's easy to be like, okay, Pastor Mike read this first, and he says that uh, we shouldn't grumble or complain, but we should respond in, in hope and boldness. I don't want to create this culture where we can't be real with each other. We've got we've to share with each other our suffering. But over time, as we like, as the Spirit like molds us and massages like the hardness of our hearts, it, like I want to be able to say for me and our family and, and everyone else, hey, we're really struggling here. We're suffering here. We want to be at a place where we can be bold for the gospel. That's our goal. Would you guys pray for that? We don't really know how to do it all the time. We're praying for opportunities, but we're trying to be real with you and share with you where we want to go. I think that would be a great way to, that our language could be shaped by the Scripture. It won't happen in our flesh. We need the Spirit to be able to answer that. And, uh, and, and from there, the Spirit to help and come around us and other believers, the whole thing seems to be marked by grace. But that would be a great goal as we suffer for the glory of God this year. Number three. So here's another evidence of God's glory, His power, His Spirit at work in His people. Number three is motive. Motive. I'm going to read verse three and four for us. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, there it is, but to please God who tests our hearts. Man, isn't that the best motive ever? Like, hey, he just wants to please God. He doesn't, he doesn't want to please man with his life, with his words, with his actions. He wants to please God, the God who tests our hearts. My favorite uh, illustration, I've used this before, it's worth repeating. My favorite illustration on motive is about the old woman who crosses the street, okay? So this old woman, she's crossing the street, right? She's got her cane, she's got her left hand holding her back support, you know, she's bent down, and you're watching this scene happen, and you see this young guy and he comes right alongside her, and he puts his hand on her back, and he's helping her with her cane, and you're like, oh, that guy is such an amazing gentleman. That's so, you're watching this unfold, you're watching this unfold, and then you see his left hand reach towards the end of the street, they get across, he reaches in her purse, he pulls out a 20, he pats her on the back, and you go, 
Scriptures. At that moment, his motive was exposed, right? You thought it was so pure, and then all of a sudden, oh, for 20 bucks, an old lady, come on, bro. In this chapter, when suffering occurs to Paul, the apostle, if he was peddling something, if he was selling something for selfish gain, if he was up for his own name, renown, reputation, when suffering occurs, when people are beating him, you bail if your motive is for yourself. But here we're seeing that he saved because his motive is for God. What a great prayer for us this semester. Lord, would you make my motive in all that I do and say, all my coming in, all my going out, every time I'm at community group, every time I'm at church, every time I'm serving, every time I'm doing the lawn, whatever, Lord, would you make my motive for you alone? I just I want to please you with my life. What a great prayer. Each of these evidences, I know that God's going to use just even one of them in your life as we're going through it. But let's continue. Let's uh, see one more evidence that God is at work, that His Spirit is among His people, and He's producing fruit. Number four is the Word. In short, it would be that the, how do you know that the glory of God is amongst us? Or another way to say it would be, how can you distinguish a believers from non-believers when they're at a restaurant? Are they, do they always just talk about the same thing? Is it just always the ball game or always what's going on? What, what marks, what, what is evidences of the Spirit among them? They talk about, they cherish, they discuss, they exhort, they teach, they use. They remind each other with the Bible, God's Word. They love it. Let me read one of the greatest summations of Paul's ministry. This is just fantastic here. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become so very dear to us. So here we've got the perfect blend in the ministry of a person who's given the Word, who's given the Gospel, and who's giving his own life. Right? Word and life. So we're going to talk about Word first. Uh, we know that this, this guy, Paul, from reading Acts 20 earlier in the service, he was committed to giving the whole counsel of God to His people. That's why we as a church, we are committed to going through books of the Bible, not um, because it's like a perfect strategy or whatever, but, but that's how God wants us to do it. Um, and you don't need to hear Newman's ideas, opinions, or philosophies. That's not going to build the church. That's going to hurt the church. You need to hear what the Holy Spirit wrote down in the Bible. And Paul proclaimed it all. He explained, he reasoned, he discussed with them. But it also says in this passage that he gave his very life as well. So it wasn't just like, 
He taught them, and then, ah, I'll see you next Sunday. But he spent time with them. He ate with them. He shared his life with them. He was vulnerable with them. He walked with them. He talked with them his whole life. So let me ask you, in your ministry to others, as you pray and ask the Lord, Lord, would you use me in the lives of others, do you tend to gravitate towards one or the other? Like the guy or the girl who's like heavy on word, like the Lord maybe has gifted you with teaching, right? And you just can't get enough of it. And you're like, like every Bible study. And when you're with someone, you're like, all right, open up chapter eight. Let me show you the chapter breaks of this because this is all, and like it just totally fuels you. But you forget their name in the process, <laughs> their kids' names, right? You're like, oh yeah, that's right. There's a person there, right? Um, or maybe you're more like, oh man, I just love to impart my life. I just can't get enough of people. I'm just, I just want to be with you all the time. We just hang out and we're just eating meals and we're just, oh, we're just so together. We're buds, right? But there's no scripture involved at all in your relationship, right? The beautiful thing in this passage is that it doesn't have to be one or the other. Paul says, be balanced or be both. Like, impart, give the gospel, give people the word of God in the context of relationship. Like, in your life, with your life, with them, together. Don't divorce the two, bring them together. God has called us to be both. Let's do the last one, life. Let's study what life would be like. It's more than just hanging out together. Um, let me read verse 5 with you. The first part of, the, of describing what life is like is like a mom, Paul says. We cared for you like a mom. If you're taking notes, go life, dash, caring for one another. Uh, here's verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from his people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Verse 7, though we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. A nursing mother knows the needs of the baby. Women, am I right? It's so true. It's so true. Nursing mothers it's, it's magic. It's like a mama knows when her baby needs milk, even if the baby is in the next room. It's crazy. Mamas have like mama superpower. I don't know if you guys ever listen to comedians like Jim Gaffigan, but he describes the difference between men and women, moms and dads like this. Mothers know everything about their kids. Like what shoe, shoe size they wear, like the size of their outfits, 2T, 3T, 4T, like what kind of underwear they prefer, you know, what kinds of like things they like to eat and how much and things like that. And dads are vaguely familiar and aware that there are small people living in this house. I'm borrowing that content, you know, but then he goes in this, in this skit, he goes, whoa, what was that little person going, you know? And it's like, is that somewhat accurate? Very well could be in my house. <laughs> Moms are different. They care for people. 
And in your life ministry with others, Paul's saying an evidence of the Spirit at work is your genuine care for others. To give a listening ear, to offer prayer, to be tender, to be gentle. However, that should not mark your whole life ministry. Paul also brings balance to it and says, hey, we came to you like a dad, too, like a coach. Let's read about it. Look at verse 9 with me. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You as witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Watch this, verse 11. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and exhorted, I'm sorry, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So it takes wisdom, guys. It takes wisdom when, when you are faced with an opportunity to minister. Am I going to minister like a mother and be caring here? Is that what this person needs? Or am I going to minister like a father? Does this person need a coach in his life? Come on, let's do this. I know you can walk with the Lord. Come on, get up. Here we go. Yesterday, we served at the uh, YMCA Kids Triathlon. And there was this girl, 14-year-old. I was in charge of riding on the bike, trailing everyone. And there was this girl, 14 years old, slipped over the handlebars, got all bloody, and like her gears were all over the place and breaking everything. She's weeping on the course, right? I came to her as a mother and said, I am so sorry. You're doing such a great job. You're doing such a great job. But it would have been not enough, insufficient. I would have said, you know, let's just let's just sit here and let's just let's just cry this one out. And so I said, hey, let me look at your bike. Here we go. Let's get this gear on. Okay, your brake it needs adjusting. Hey, you've got this. You can finish this race. I know you can. I said, yes, you can. You've been training for this your whole life. I have probably. Well, let's do this. And then, but you know what? I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to ride with you. So we rode together for a while. She's weeping throughout the whole thing. And she finished. She finished. She needed both. She needed a mother. She needed a father. I probably played the father role a little better, but that's how God made me. Church, all these evidences. We've got to ask, are they occurring among us? Yes, absolutely. We're so like encouraged and proud of you. These evidences are so evident in your life. We should celebrate. We should pause and just look back and go, Lord, in the last six months, you've grown me in these areas. You've, you've caused me to respond better in suffering. Lord, you've, you've carried me in the area of being bold. Lord, you've helped me um, be more balanced in life and word. I've, I've, as the result of studying and memorizing and meditating on Scripture, Lord, you've given me passages to share. Lord, you've provided opportunities for me to pray for people. I praise you. Lord, I celebrate this great reality that your Spirit is at work in my life. 
And friends, we got to do that. We got to do that over lunch today, and as, as as you like spend the afternoon with your family, with your spouse, whatever. Like, take some time and go. You know what? I have seen this in your life and in your life. And have you seen these evidences in mine? Be encouraged. I think we also can ask, okay, how can we excel still more? Maybe there's one of these that has, has really surfaced as a result of studying this passage where you're like, you know what? I want to do a good job in the in arrow today for living for the Lord. This semester, Lord, where could you grow me? How could you use one of these so that I could more, in a more healthy, in a more God-honoring way, shine the light on your son Jesus this semester? Would you help me? And that's where we're at full end today. It's so worth it. The great thing is that Jesus, you're not alone in this process. As we, as we ask the Lord to grow us in, in, as we reach in, as we make disciples with one another, as we follow him together, we're not alone. Jesus says, you're my bride, and I'm going to cherish you, and I'm going to tend to you, and I'm going to help you through this. So we're going to close our service today um, singing what a beautiful name it is. Um, worship team, would you guys come on up? And this song, we're, we're just, we're, we're shepherding you in such a way to say, Oh, not just, oh, I like this song or whatever, but that you would say, Lord, you have been beautiful in my life. You've, you've worked in my life. You've, you, your spirit has been made evident and glory has occurred as a result. And would you do it still more? So this is a celebratory way to end our time this morning. Would you stand with us and listen to this?